Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone, passion for excellence, and by Dow Automotive Systems, innovations for clean powertrain solutions. Jim Hall, the evilest host of Auto Line Daily ever. I should mention that from my secret lair at the Earth's West Pole, I've been masterminding a plan to control your media. And now, with John McElroy out of town, the time is ripe to strike a crippling blow. Soon, 2953 Analytics will be the world's sole source for high-quality automotive analysis. All others shall bow before me, Colonel Hall. (laughs) Sorry. In the meantime, let's get to the freshest, best, and most aromatic news from the cyberweb's murky depths. In a move that's sure to make all automakers nervous, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled yesterday that a family can sue Mazda over an issue with seatbelts. According to the Detroit News, a woman was killed in an accident while only wearing a lap belt in a 1993 Mazda MPV. Now, federal regulations didn't require shoulder belts for all seating positions in 1993 light trucks back then. The family of the victim says Mazda should have installed lap and shoulder belts, which, as I mentioned at the time, weren't required. The court didn't find the company liable for any wrongdoing. It's just allowing the case now to go to trial. This can't be good, though, for automakers, because the decision is going to make it much easier for people to sue manufacturers over liability issues for parts that aren't on vehicles, which is pretty scary. General Motors reported its earnings for 2010, and overall the numbers look pretty good. The company posted a $4.7 billion profit of net income attributable to common stockholders, whatever that means. However, the company is still losing money. In Europe, it posted a $600 million loss before interest in taxes. Also, profitability fell in its international operations, primarily on account of China, where profitability dropped to $300 million from $400 million. GM's profit also fell in South America. But as reported earlier, the company was able to pay its hourly employees over $4,000 in profit sharing because overall numbers were strong. Oh yeah, GM will also be paying shareholders of the new company a $3.11 dividend as well. In a sign the global industry is turning around, Daimler announced it plans to hire over 10,000 workers this year. According to the AP, strong demand in the U.S. and China is spurring these hires. Daimler plans to hire nearly 7,000 skilled workers worldwide. In the United States, it's going to increase its headcount by 1,300 workers for the truck plant in Alabama. Talk about slow motion. Volkswagen and Porsche's merger seems to be stuck in first gear as the two automotive giants face one roadblock after another. Blame the ever-thorough German legal system for some of the latest delays. According to Bloomberg, prosecutors are investing allegations of share price manipulation by two former board members. There are also some tax disputes and U.S. lawsuits to take care of. Because of these issues, and some others, the official, final, functional merger probably won't take place until next year, which is like two years later than a lot of people thought it would be. Spiker is in the news yet again. Last year it took on the failing Saab brand, and now Bloomberg reports the tiny Dutch automaker is selling its sports car unit to a Russian businessman in an effort to reduce its overall debt. Vladimir Antonov, no relation to the Ukrainian aircraft manufacturer that we're aware of, is a former chairman and shareholder of Spiker. He's paying 15 million euros, about 21 million dollars, for the company's supercar division, which sold just 36 cars in 2009. But to be fair, they were 36 really, really expensive cars with a lot of handwork. Spiker's doing this to help its balance sheet, which will cut its interest payments and allow it to focus more of its limited resources on resuscitating Saab. It's always fun to take a peek at the personal finances of automotive executives. No, I'm not some perverted voyeur. It's just nice to see if they're really earning their keep. Has Chrysler's Italian import been delivering? You be the jury. 
The Detroit Free Press reports that Fiat paid Sergio Marchionne roughly $5 million last year, 27% less than he got in 2009. Now to working stiffs like you or me, that's a ton of moolah. But in the world of top-level executives, it wouldn't get you enough mileage on your marquee jet card for a trip to Pomona. When you factor in how much this man works, though, it probably comes out to about 8 bucks an hour. Okay, maybe 10 On the other hand, Chrysler has not disclosed how much it pays Marchionne. The government restructuring put a salary cap of $500,000 annually on the company's top 25 executives. However, Fiat employees, like Mr. Marchionne, are exempt from this restriction. So who knows what amazing, unbelievable, or otherwise fantastical amounts of money he earns. I'll bet it's in the tens of hundreds of dollars, maybe even more. Coming up next, you asked for it. Well, not you, but you'll hear it anyway. You're gonna get my two cents on one of Cadillac's more controversial concepts. Introducing Bridgestone's third generation of run-flat tires with groundbreaking new Bridgestone technologies. Bridgestone run-flat tires offer improved ride comfort, lower rolling resistance, and improved wear while giving you the peace of mind and comfort you need. At last year's Los Angeles Auto Show, Cadillac showed a rather controversial concept vehicle. I call it the Kulk. Now, of course, Cadillac called it the Cadillac Urban Luxury Concept, but it's still Kulk. I don't care if the design of the car was three years old. I don't care that Bob Lutz really didn't get it and thought a small Escalade the size of a Mini was a better idea. I don't care if it would totally repulse traditional Cadillac owners. General Motors needs to build this car. For some background, you should be aware that the Kulk was a component of something called the Micro Exotic Project back three years ago or thereabouts. The idea was to devise a small, fuel-efficient car that could warrant more than bottom feeder pricing. What the heck, it works with Mini, and it should pan out for the Cinquecento in the United States. So why not do something like this at General Motors? Naturally, such a car couldn't be a Chevy. They've got the entry-level small car button buttoned up, so that leaves really Buick and Cadillac. But when the micro-exotic was underway, Pontiac, Saturn, and Saab were still consider considered viable endeavors. Not so now, so with only two logical nameplates left at General Motors, a premium-priced small car, with the way the Tri-Shield is branding, perhaps Buick would be a more appropriate place if you wanted to draw the younger Y buyers. That said, this car is actually the kind of product that Cadillac needs for the second and third decades of the 21st century. A car like this isn't, is, is about tomorrow, not a tip of the corporate hat to times past, the way that Mini and the Cinquecento are. The Europeans have done a great job so far with leveraging the retro appeal of both of those vehicles. There are those who will believe the Mini is getting a little long in the tooth and that it has a cartoon interior. And as much as I like Minis, I don't completely disagree with the observation. Right now the Cinquecento is pretty much spot on for what the company needs to relaunch the Fiat nameplate in North America. But growing Fiat on this side of the Atlantic, building on the Cinquecento is not going to be an easy task. The Cooper and the Cinquecento aren't the issue here though. GM is missing out on the premium B-car market, a market that should be used to snag the youngest customers early and bond them to your products before they're old enough to know better. Besides, I plain old love the dinky Cadillac's attitude. Build this car, General Motors, but please, with a 1.4 liter turbo inline four rather than some clunky, rev-resistant lump of a three-pot engine. And that's it for today's installment of AutoLine Daily. Tune in tomorrow for the exciting conclusion of this week's mini-series. You don't want to miss it. And with that, we're going to come full circle and wrap things up. Before I say adieu, I'd like to remind you about this evening's festivities. Open your web browser of choice and navigate to our site, autolinedetroit.tv. Do it around 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and you will be rewarded with the Internet's most entertaining and informative automotive program. That's right, it's Thursday night, and that means Autoline After Hours. Captain Peter DiLorenzo, the auto extremist, is skippering the show this week. He's joined in studio by none other than Commodore Scott Burgess of the Detroit News. 
And of course, yours truly, Admiral, Admiral Hall, will also be on the bridge. So don't miss it. With that, goodbye. I'll see you tonight. No, seriously, you'd better be there. And uh, yeah, there will be a test.